Thanks for listening to the teaching podcast of Bridgepoint Church. Stay tuned after the podcast for a short message, but for now, let's jump right in. All right, so glad to be with you, and happy football Sunday. It's a great day at Bridgepoint. I hope you got some hot dogs outside, and uh, thank you to the guys uh, that are cooking for us. And uh, so I, I have my college kickoff shirt here available, but I also did bring a couple of uh, teams to represent. Uh, we're going through some rough seasons here, rough patches, uh, and but we, you know, we were great once, and I, I was told I, I need to stop living in the past, but you know, it's through the past that we reflect and we just find some joy, you know, as we look through things. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm a Nebraska fan and a, and a New York Giants fan, so I'm hoping that it's going to be a great year turning around, so we'll see. I don't know. If you're a Georgia fan, you guys had a great night uh, last night, yeah? Uh, and if you're Georgia Tech, you're just uh, waiting out the days uh, till, till Monday, right? I think they're playing tomorrow night. Anyway, so Pastor Matt's not here this morning. I get to fill in. Uh, my name is Greg Tellison. If you don't know who I am, uh, I'm one of the elders. I serve on the Dream Team here. And it's my honor and privilege to be able to, to bring the message this morning to you. And so I'm glad that you're here with us. I don't know that we do this enough as a church, and I, I think we ought to do it more. I know we do it some, but I just want to honor our pastor uh, Matt Spear, and what a great message he gave last week And as he kicked off our series around the table. And he really kind of uh, concluded the, ser- the series by starting at the end, and I'm going to actually start at the beginning. So he kicked us off last week and talking about the Lord's table and just how when we come to the Lord's table, it's a table for everyone, and how Jesus, he broke down the, the, the norms of society uh, and invited people to, around the table that normally weren't weren't there and weren't invited to be certainly with teachers and rabbis of the day. And uh, so obviously uh, he talked a little bit about food. And I remember, you know, he was talking about how he loves to have parties at his house. And um, I think every one of us should get an invitation at some point in time, Matt, I'm just saying. Uh, but anyway, uh, I love having parties too. We love to host. And growing up, I don't know, you may not know this by my last name, Tellison, but I am 50% Italian, and I grew up with an Italian mom who is an amazing cook, and I mean, she could take anything out of the cupboards, out of the pantry, out of the fridge, and just make it taste good. I don't know how she does it, um, and so growing up, I, we always ate great, and we had parties and festivals or, you know, celebrations in our house. It seemed like a festival, but it wasn't. I mean, and we would eat for hours, and it was always around food. It's like, even when I go to visit my mom, it's like, I want to go to this restaurant, I want to eat this, and I want to eat that, and we'll cook steaks this night, and I'll make the pasta, and I'm like, oh my goodness, it's like, I gained 10 pounds just going there. Um, but anyway, so I remember, uh, it was Christmas Eve, and I, I was a teenager, so it was just a couple of years ago, and... Um, Thanks for laughing. I appreciate that. You're supposed to. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, actually, this year I, I, I celebrated half century, uh, actually, just a couple of days ago. Um, so, yeah, thank you. I survived, and so did my family. Uh, so, anyway, so we would, uh, on Christmas Eve, we would just eat and eat and eat. And so I remember one year, we started around 4.35 o'clock. Uh, we got home from church early, and uh, we had friends over. We had family over. And we started, you know, with little snacks. You know, we had the nuts and the, and the veggies and the antipasta and all that. And then we'd do the pasta. And then you'd cleanse your palate with a little sorbet. And then, and then you go on and you have the little appetizer. And then all of a sudden you have the main course. 
and she'd bring out the turkey. But of course, it's Christmas Eve. You got to have ham a little bit. And so we went through. And by the time we were done and everybody was leaving, it was 2 a.m. And so Santa Claus passed over. We didn't have Christmas. No, we did. We did have Christmas. That year was awesome. But I remember just when we celebrated, we always celebrated with food. And thinking about our series around the table uh, in Luke, he paints pictures all throughout his gospel of either Jesus going to a meal, reclining or staying at a meal, or coming from a meal. And so we're, you know, last week we, we looked at the last meal, the last supper, and this, this week I'm going to start at the beginning. We're going to look at the first meals that Jesus had and when he's calling his disciples. And so we're going to spend a lot of time in Luke chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to be there, uh, to open them up. If you have phones, that's fine too. Uh, but I also believe that uh, Scripture is best understood in the context in which it is written. So we kind of, I want to explore a little bit of the context of this chapter and get to where we're going to be just camping a little bit. So we're going to be camping in verses 27 through 31, but I want to start at the beginning of chapter 5, okay, Luke chapter 5. And at the beginning of that chapter, uh, we see Simon, who is also known as Peter, and he's fishing, and he hasn't been called by Jesus yet, so he's out fishing with his buddies, and, and they are fishermen, and he's a scallywag, so he's out there, you know, kind of doing his thing. And, and, um, and so they, they hadn't caught anything. So he comes back, and Jesus is like, hey, look, can I get onto your boat? I want to teach, because already the crowds are kind of gathering. And so he gets onto the boat, he teaches, and he says, hey, let's cast our nets. And so Peter's like, you know, Jesus, Rabbi, I've been out all night. We haven't caught anything. There's nothing out there. And Jesus is like, humor me, will you please? And so he goes out, he casts his net. All of a sudden, the net is so full that it's pulling the boat over. So he calls his friends, John and James, the sons of Zebedee or the sons of thunder. They come on over and they help. And then the net starts breaking because there's so many fish. All of a sudden, Simon Peter falls to his knees. and He says, Lord, get away from me because I'm a sinful man. Depart from me. And, and Jesus is like, don't worry. You were a fisherman, but now you'll be fishers of men. And come follow me. And he calls Simon and James and John and Andrew at that time. Then we, we kind of move on to another story in Luke. And a man with leprosy who's kind of on the outskirts. You know, if you had leprosy, if you had a skin disease, you weren't allowed to be in the city. You weren't allowed to be in the camp with all the other uh, Jewish people at the time. So you would be on the outside of the city and in a kind of a tent by yourself or with other people with leprosy. And so he comes up to Jesus and he says, if you are willing, Lord, you can make me whole. And Jesus's, Jesus's reply is, I am willing. Be healed. And so he's healed. And then what does he do? He says, don't tell anybody. I want you to go to the priests and I want you to offer the, the offering that Moses requires and let it be a testimony to, to, to me. And so then, um, and then we, we see Jesus is now in a house in the next few verses. He's in a house and he's teaching and all the people come from all over the place. They crowd in and there's no room for anybody to kind of move or whatever. And then these four guys come carrying their, their buddy on a cot <clears throat> and he's paralyzed. He can't. And so they can't get in. They're like, let me in, let me in. And they're looking and they, he can't get in. And so they, they decide to climb up onto the roof. They pull out some ceiling tiles, their roof tiles, and they lower him down. And Jesus sees their faith. And he says, because of your faith, 
your sins are forgiven. And then the, the scribes and the, and, the, and the Pharisees are like, whoa, 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 what, what, your sins are forgiven? What, what blasphemy is this that you're saying? And Jesus is saying, well, what is it? Is it easier for me to say, get up your mat, you're healed, or to say your sins are forgiven, take up your mat? So that you know that the Son of Man has the power to forgive sins, your sins are forgiven, and the man takes up his mat, and he walks out. It's a miracle. Now we find ourselves in Luke chapter 5, verse 27. Luke chapter 5, verse 27. And it, and it says, says after, after this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So leaving everything behind, he got up and began to follow him. Then Levi hosted a grand banquet for him at his house. Now there was a large crowd of tax collectors and others who were guests with them. But the Pharisees and their scribes were complaining to his disciples why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus replied to them, It is not those who are healthy who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And so here I want to point out, we're going to kind of just camp here. So Levi is here, and he's a tax collector. And I want to just share a little bit about tax collectors in that day. I know Matt actually talked about it uh, last week a little bit, uh, but I want to go a little bit more in depth. And uh, the, the Greek word for tax collector is telones, and it's a, it means publican. It means that a collector of tax or a custom on behalf of the Romans. So the tax collectors collected on behalf of the Romans. Now, oftentimes the Romans would kind of recruit and have someone of that native culture collect the taxes for them. So they would seek out Jew Jewish people to collect taxes from Jews. And the reason why they did this is because they wanted, they would know the culture, they would know their people, and they would know whether they're being kind of, you know, scammed or trying to deceived a little bit. So they kind of know the ins and the outs. Um, but they weren't well liked because they felt like they betrayed uh, their religion, they, they betrayed God, and they betrayed their people. Cicero, who was a ruler at that time, considered such occupations uh, as tax collectors or customs officers as vulgar on the account of the hatred that they incurred. So it wasn't just with the Jewish people, it was with the Romans. I mean, but they were a necessary evil to be able to collect what they needed to collect. And there were three kinds of tax collectors in that time. There was a land taxer, a tax collector. And so that person would go around and collect tax on the land. So if your land produced a crop, then whether you, if you sold it or what have you, they would collect off of the land. Now, if you were a renter of the land, you were exempt from getting the land tax. However, you would pay it in your rent to the owner of the property. Um, the second is a head tax. And this is a person that would charge you a tax on the number of people in your home. And in that day, they would count the, the males from the ages of 14 to 65, and then you were charged a denarius, which would be like a day's wage uh, for that per person for the year. Um, and so that could get pretty costly if you've got a big family. And then finally, you had, our, you had a customs system tax. And basically what that is, is that was kind of like, that was what Levi did. He sat at a toll booth, and if you were bringing goods into the city, then you had to pay tax on it. So Simon and his friends, James and John and Andrew, 
uh, probably knew Levi because um, they, they encountered him. As they came back from their fishing trip, they would encounter him and they would have to pay tax on that. They probably had to pay a tax on that massive uh, catch that they just had. So they would know Levi and they would kind of go, give him the stink eye, kind of like, you know, I don't like this guy. Um, so uh, it, was, it was very common in that day. And Levi's being called. I can only imagine what they were saying to Jesus. Like, Jesus, do you know what this guy does? I don't want this guy walking around with us. And so, and they probably didn't like him because he, he um, took taxes, but not only did he take taxes for Rome, but he also kind of took taxes and lined his own pocket. So, you know, they were very, um, they were kind of extortionists. So it's, it's kind of funny. It's like, a, you know, maybe a mobster or somebody, somebody that you don't like, kind of like, and, and they're coming around collecting, hey, you want security? You got to pay up, you know, kind of a thing. Uh, so... Anyway, um, so what does he do? So let's read again in verse 27. After this, Jesus went out, saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, follow me. And so what did Levi do? In verse 28, it says, so leaving everything behind, he got up and began to follow him. And I have to, I have to imagine as I'm reading this, and it's, it's interesting, it's just a small section of, of this gospel but I think sometimes we kind of kind of read through as we're studying our, our, our Bibles, as we're reading through, and we kind of skip over all the intricate details that are there. You see, he left his occupation. He left his lucrative business because he probably saw the miracle that Jesus did with Simon and James and John. He probably saw the miracle that Jesus did with the man who was healed of leprosy. He probably saw that guy go into that house paralyzed and then come out walking. And so this is a guy who's like, okay, I'm on the outside. I grew up, maybe I went to rabbinic school, and, and I, but I, I didn't get picked. So I wasn't the best of the best of the best. And so here I am collecting taxes. This is what I can do. And he's been on the outside looking in. And all of a sudden, a rabbi, a teacher, a leader, Someone who is attracting a lot of people and crowds says to him, come and follow me. And he takes and he seizes the opportunity. And then what does he do? It says, then Levi hosted a grand banquet for him at his house. Now there was a large crowd of tax collectors and others who were guests with them. See, Levi, he didn't just say, all right, I'll follow you. You know, I don't want to tell anybody I'm, I'm going, but I'm going I'll follow you. No. What did he do? He went and he found friends and he told his friends about it. He's like, you got to come and meet this guy. And so he hosts a banquet because what does he want to do? He wants to celebrate what God is doing in his life. And so here we see him. He's hosting this grand banquet. Now let's talk about the table of fellowship back in the culture of the day. The table of fellowship was meant for your friends and your family, it was a place for you not just to have a meal. It was a place where people came together and they all cooked, they all pitched in, and you talked and you fellowshiped. It was a place where you got together in unity. The Pharisees and the religious leaders, they would eat and they would separate themselves from the, the, the regular people, especially six times a year as they were going to serve in the temple because they wanted to maintain purity because they needed to be holy as they were going to serve in the Lord's house, in the temple of God. And so, but they carried that on throughout their season. 
And so, you know, they would, they would, uh, they would not obviously associate and they would not have dinner with a tax collector with the common folk of the day. Because tax collectors, they often interacted with Gentiles through the trade routes. And um, if you think about it too, uh, I forgot to mention this earlier, but when I think about even this, the toll booth, I think about, I don't know if anybody's from up north, northeast, <clears throat> but the tolls up there are sometimes ridiculous. Like you're crossing a bridge and you have to pay 20 bucks just to get across. And it's like you're handing out money on money. And so guys would come and tax collectors would be on multiple stations throughout their route. So they may come from one city they have to pay, then they go to another city, then they have to pay, and they could be paying multiple taxes on the same amount of uh, merchandise that they're carrying. And so um, here's what Levi is doing. And so, uh, so he obviously is interacting with Gentiles throughout, so the priests aren't going to associate with him because he's unclean, he's unpure, he's defiled. And he works on the Sabbath because he doesn't take a day off because people don't take a day off from traveling, Right? If a person was ostracized from their family, they'd be cut off. They, weren't, they wouldn't be allowed to be at the table. But if they wanted to you know, extend a hand of reconciliation or, or an, uh, an invitation towards re reconciliation, they would invite them back in. And then now the table becomes a table of reconciliation. And I think about what Matt taught about last week about the Lord's Supper and how Jesus was preparing the table for us. And he broke the bread and he, he passed around the wine because there was a table of reconciliation. And so as we look at this, we look at the fact that Jesus is now reconciling the common person, the outsider, to him. As he's sitting with these, he's pressing the envelope, he's pushing the limits, and he's sitting with those people that were on the outside looking in, and now they're on the inside enjoying company and relationship with Jesus. The, the, the table of fellowship was also a place where they kind of debated and talked about different ideas. And they got this from uh, philosophers like Plato, who 300 years, 400 years before this, uh, sat around and, and talked philosophy and laws and, and different things like that and, and just um, debated. And, and so here's an opportunity where they can kind of wrestle with and work out their faith and work out their thoughts and their ideas. And so they're doing that with Jesus. And it's amazing. And <clears throat> I want to put a pause there, pin there, and I want to go to uh, Luke chapter 6, verse, verses uh, 13, 14. It's not on the screen. I didn't, I didn't put it up there. But I, just listen to this. As Jesus is calling the, the disciples, he's spending time in prayer with God and when daylight came, he summoned his disciples and he chose 12 of them, whom he also named apostles. Simon, whom he also named Peter, and Andrew, his brother. James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, uh, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon called the zealot, Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. As I read that list, I think, where's Levi? Is Levi on that list? I, he just called Levi. We just read it that Jesus asked him to follow me and he just called him. And so Jesus had a number of disciples. He had people that wanted to learn from his teaching that were around him, that were you know, learning from uh, you know, his, his, uh, his, his teachings as he's, as he's imparting. 
And, um, and so you had a group of disciples, but then he also had the inner 12. He called, who were then called apostles. And Matthew and Levi are one and the same. And that same Levi is Matthew, who is, wrote the gospel of Matthew in, in the first book of our New Testament that we have today. And that's passed down from generation to generation until it has gotten to us. And so Matthew, who was once a tax collector, is, is now a game changer. He's being called out of his old occupation into what Christ, Jesus Christ has for him. Verse 30, let's go back to chapter 5, verse 30. But the Pharisees and the scribes were complaining to his disciples. Why do you drink and eat, eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? So they didn't go to Jesus to complain. They go to the disciples. Let's pick off the weak ones. Let's go to them. They, they don't know as much or whatever. And they also don't want to go in. Why don't they want to go in? Because they don't want to be defiled by hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. Sometimes we use sinners today. It's a very religious word. And, and I think about it like, you know, hey, you're a sinner. Well, I, I know I'm a sinner. I, I know that I make mistakes consistently. You know, and I think of sinners as kind of like the everyday man or woman. You know, we're just the everyday common person, just trying to get along. We fall down, we make mistakes, and we need, we need someone to pick us up. I'm a sinner just like you, and I need a savior. I need someone that's going to call me out of the life that I'm living, the mistakes that I'm making, and call me to a higher place. And that's what Jesus does here. And, that's what, and then the disciples are complaining, hey, why are you hanging out with those people? And this is what Jesus says. It's not those who are healthy who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And sometimes I have an internal dialogue in my head, and it may not be always right, and I, and I think, I've not come to call the self-righteous, but sinners to repentance. These are people who are longing. They are longing for something. They are longing to belong. And so as we, as we you know, kind of come to the end of this passage, there are three things that I see that I wanted to call out to you. Number one, in all of Luke chapter 5, is this. Jesus sought out sinners. He sought out the common person. He sought out the everyday man, the everyday woman. He sought them out because they were pushed out of society. They were cast out. They were cast aside. And what that tells me is that we have a loving Savior that sees us for who we are and where we are and still wants to be in relationship with us. What a powerful, powerful statement right there. And the second thing is, is that Jesus called you to be a disciple. So he called Levi, yes, but he called you to be a disciple. And as I was preparing this, I was thinking about the day when I was called. And I was thinking about what Levi did and how excited he got and he threw a banquet. And when I gave my heart to Jesus in my early 20s, I remember I was on the corner of Victory and Havenhurst in the San Fernando Valley in California. <clears throat> and I gave my heart to Christ. And I talked to my sister and I said, I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. I, I just gave my heart to Christ I, I, again because I, I was brought up in the church. I walked away. 
And I was like, I don't know. She goes, I would go to this church. And she told me about a church. They had a Saturday night service. So I went on Saturday night. I loved it so much that I took two of my friends and I went back on Sunday morning. And then I didn't look back. But then I was also thinking about, you know, I was, I was on fire for God. I was excited. I was telling people about, about him. And I remember I, I was in a job where I wasn't really happy. I was working for a talent manager in LA and trying to get people cast in, you know, on TV shows and movies and what have you. And so I remember I was just really questioning you know, where I was supposed to be and what I was supposed to do. And I was at this conference and I was listening to this woman called Joy Dawson. And she was an amazing prophet and speaker. And so she was talking about the justice and the righteousness of God. And she was talking about his holiness and, you know, um, and how, how holy and righteous he was. And I was really feeling convicted. And then our pastor, Scott Bauer, who has since gone home to be with the Lord, got up and he said, he said this, and I'm going to read it word for word because I have it on tape, cassette tape. Some of you may know what that is. Some of you don't. Our funny story. I know this. I'm, I'm totally dis distracted here, but like my son was listening to a tape and he's like, I want to go to the previous song that, how do I do that? And I was like, you have to, and he goes, well, I pressed it for just a second. I was like, no, you have to press it for like a couple of minutes to get to the, all right. Anyway, <clears throat> so I was listening, listening to uh, the tape. And here's what Scott said, and it pierced my heart. He says, there's a call for fire. Some of you need to give up your career. Did you hear me? Some of you need to give up your career. I had just been praying about my career. There's a seminary starting in the fall. You're supposed to go. So what are you going to do? You need to know God. You need to get ready for what he wants to do with you what are you going to do? What are you going to do? And it's at that moment, my friend, who was one of my best friends at the time, and now my wife of 22 plus years, leans forward because she's two seats down from me. She looks over and she looks at me and I'm like, yeah, I know. And then Scott goes on to say this. He says, um, if that's you, raise your hand. There are lots of hands here, Paul. Don't wait. You wait, you'll go home, and you'll say, Joy mesmerized me. And the pastor shouted in the microphone, and I got all excited. Phooey! You didn't get excited. You got called. So get on it. Now, as I read this, Jesus is calling you. You got called. You're called. You're called to be a disciple. And I challenge you not to be the disciples that are on the outskirts, that are just kind of observing from a distance. Get close. Get close to Jesus. See, because number three is this. Number one, Jesus sought out sinners. Number two, Jesus called you to be a disciple. And number three, Jesus sees who he created you to be. Not who you are now, but who he created you to be. Some of us are waiting to grow up in life, to find out what they're gonna do. I'm still waiting to find out what I'm gonna do when I get old. <clears throat> I'm not. But you're called, and Jesus sees you for who he created you to be, not who you are. 
You may say, I, Greg, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not in a place in my life where I can give all of that. Okay. But take a step. I challenge you to take a step forward in faith. I don't know what that is, and I don't know what that means for your life. For me, it was a call to go to seminary, and I did. Got my Master of Divinity, helped plant a church in California, and I felt like God was calling us out here to Woodstock, Georgia. And I get to speak to you every once in a while. I get the privilege and honor of living out my call in life. What's your call in life? See, we're going to conclude our service here the same way that we do every single week. And it, hopefully it's not mundane for you. It's not routine. And I pray that this morning it's none of those things, but it's something that where Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, whispers to your heart and speaks to you directly what he's called you to do. If you don't know, and if you never had that encounter with God, where I don't remember when I was called. Maybe it was so long ago that you kind of blocked it out. Well, maybe it's time to think through and, and reprocess. Because I think even though I, I might be, you know, living in the past a little bit, it's through visiting that that I get, I get excited in my heart. It's like the kindling that's there, that's the flame that kind of has gone low is now rekindled to ignite into a fire. And so this morning, if nothing else, I want a little bit of a spark to light that fire with inside of you. See, Levi got so excited, he invited his friends. Do you remember when you gave your heart to Jesus? Did you give your heart to Jesus? See, he loves you. He came here on earth to have a relationship with you, to invite you to a seat at the table of reconciliation. And some of us, like me is a prime example. I've gotten comfortable in my walk and I don't always get excited. I got excited this weekend as I was preparing for this because God called me. And I know he's called you too. He says, you're a son and a daughter. So, if you remember when you accepted the invitation, think about it. Were you happy? Were you excited? Was it easy? Was it hard? Was it everything that you thought it was going to be? Probably not. The Christian life is not supposed to be easy. And whoever told you that, maybe sold you a bill of goods. Christian life is difficult, but it's rewarding. It's exciting. It's filled with power. It's filled with the, the call of God on your life. And the second question I want to ask is, who can you invite to the table? So this morning, as we go to the table, it's not Greg's table. It's not Bridgepoint's table. It's not Matt Spears' table. It's the Lord's table. All are welcome. We come to the table and we take the bread, which is the body of Christ. It represents the body of Christ. He's broken for us so that we can have eternal life. And then there's the juice. It's not going to fill you up. It's not a meal like Pastor Matt talked about last week, but it is one of those where the, the juice represents Christ's blood that was shed on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, for our healing. Maybe your heart, maybe you don't have physical wounds that need to be healed, but maybe you have 
but internal wounds that need to be healed. Maybe your heart is broken. And so this morning, I just invite you to invite Christ in to heal your heart. So as we come to the table, it's a table of reconciliation. Can you stand with me this morning as I pray? Father God, thank you that you have called each and every person here. You saw them. You knew who they were before they were born. And you knew, you know who they are supposed to be. So I pray that you would impart your calling on their life this morning in Jesus' name. That you would speak to them and that they would hear your voice. Their hearts would be open. Lord, if there's someone here that has never started their relationship with you, is questioning their relationship with you, has allowed their relationship with you to kind of just take a back seat, I just pray that you would rekindle the fire that's within them. It's not because of the words that were spoken, because a pastor preached or yelled into the microphone and they got excited, but it's about them taking a step of faith. It's about them believing that you are a God who does miracles. And so, Lord, I just pray that as we come to the table this morning, that, Lord, that you'll minister to us and that we can receive the free freedom that you give us at the table. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So you're welcome to take communion. There are tables in the back and on the sides, and you can take when you're ready. Thanks for listening to the Bridgepoint Church Podcast. I hope we've shared something meaningful for you wherever you're at in your spiritual journey. Just so you know a little bit more about us, we meet on Sunday mornings in downtown Woodstock, but we also meet during the week in what we call life groups, and that's where the really good stuff happens for us. If you're becoming a regular listener of this podcast, we'd like to invite you to make it relational, just like we do during the week. Grab a Bible, invite some friends to join you, and turn this into a conversation. If you're already a regular listener and would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so by visiting us online at bpc.life and choosing the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for listening.